Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's episode 209 of the Audible Farm podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Couchtown Coffee. I love Couchtown Coffee. I drink it all the time. Uh, I A couple years ago, I was looking for sponsors. I put out a feeler. I said, who uh, makes coffee? Who roasts coffee? Uh, Couchtown Coffee, somebody pointed me in their direction. I reached out, found out it's uh, roasted by a musician right here in Iowa, and so I ordered some, and it was amazing. And uh, we made a little partnership here, and it's it's been one of my favorite coffees I've ever had. I drink it every morning. I've been drinking it for years. You should check it out. Go to CouchtownCoffee.com, find a coffee you like, make an order, and when you do, just let them know Audible Farm sent you, and they'll give you 20% off. Why? Because Couchtown Coffee is that awesome. Thanks, Couchtown. This episode is also brought to you by the patrons on the Patreon channel, helping us out each and every month. One dollar per month, you can become a patron of the Patreon channel and watch video versions of the podcast uh, with fellow patrons such as Eric and Vince and Ronley and Andy and Abby and Matt and Harold and Justin and the McAllister Hours podcast is actually a patron of the Audible Farm podcast. That's pretty cool. So uh, hats off to you guys over at the McAllister Hours podcast. So if you guys want to become a patron, just go to patreon.com slash audible farm. It costs $1 a month or more. You can give as much as you'd like, but a dollar a month will get you video versions of the podcast. That's $12 a year. And uh, thank you very much to all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash audible farm. This episode i'm sitting down i'm talking with kenneth fox uh kenneth was somebody that knew somebody that i knew and listened to the podcast and just reached out and was like hey uh i do this kind of stuff what's going on and i was just like oh this sounds like an interesting person i think you should be on the podcast that's what's going on and uh we talked a little bit and away we go now we're on the podcast Kenneth is a luthier. He's been woodworking and playing music for quite a while. Been playing music in some fashion or another in a live capacity since he was about 12, uh, maybe 13, somewhere in that area. It's it's crazy to, to think somebody at 12 is out playing live shows. I mean, it's absolutely wild to me. And then, you know, not only that, but, you know, at like 16, you start fixing your own guitars and fixing other people's guitars and fixing other equipment. And it's like, What? And then we, we go through and we talk about all, it's just wild. We go through and talk about all that kind of stuff. We talk about uh, becoming a luthier and, and building guitars, which is also just something mind-blowing to me. Fixing a guitar, it's not as bad because like there's parts and you can buy new parts if you break a part. And for the most part, as long as you don't snap the neck in half, you can fix anything. But building a guitar, that's, that's some wild, wild stuff. Uh, so yeah, we talk about that as well as uh, playing music. He's a multi-instrumentalist. He does some other music stuff as well as some, uh, stuff going on in his life. It's, it's just, he's got a fun story. He's been on a good adventure. Even as of late, he's setting everything back up to go back in business as a luthier here in Iowa. And, uh, we're here to talk about it. It's, it's a fun story. So I hope you guys sit down and enjoy this one. And, uh, I sit down and talk with Kenneth Fox. It's the Audible Farm Podcast, with your host, Peter Stockdale. Okay, uh, I'm sitting down today talking with, I guess I didn't ask, Kenny or Kenneth? Uh, most people call me Kenny, but it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. All right. Kenneth Fox. I'm sitting down talking with Kenneth Fox today. You messaged me on Instagram, I believe, and said that you've been listening to the podcast here and there. Uh, you talked to Vinny 
from Vinny and the Night Prowlers, good old Vince Beneshek. It's, yes, like, it's like he can't go anywhere in the state without finding someone that knows him. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard to, I don't know. The kid's just everywhere. He talks to everybody. He's, he's a fun loving guy. It's hard not to get along with him. So that's kind of fun. Small world, small world out there. But yeah, you contacted me and you had some interesting stuff. I was like, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. And you said you, you grew up in Iowa, you moved away, you came back, you started playing music when you were really young, living in Iowa. Yeah, you, you got into woodworking, fixing guitars, playing guitars with multiple bands. Uh, a lot to unpack. A lot to unpack. So let's start all the way back at the beginning, and uh, let's find out what got you started on this journey. Were you uh, playing guitars first, or what was it? So I was uh, six years old. Dad got me a guitar, and uh, he had been playing for about 45 years at the time. Okay. So I sat down, listened to him. He gave me a lesson here and there. And by the time I was 12 years old, I started playing in bars and uh, wedding gigs and stuff like that. And as time went on, I, you know, turned 15, 16, started doing my own work on my instruments and uh, started spreading out the word that I was going to do that. And people started bringing me their stuff, but it just wasn't enough to cut it. So I started working at factories and stuff like that. Well, I found out in my early 20s that that is not what I want to do. <laughs> so I decided to take everything I had and throw it into my business and got that started up again. And so I've been doing that for the last you know, 10, 12 years. Nice, nice. So you got started playing in bars and things like that at the age of like 12. That's, that's wild. Yes, sir. How'd you get invited to do that? Were you uh, tagging along with somebody else or was, was somebody giving you at 12 years old solo gigs to, to play for weddings and things? So my brother was getting married and we were playing this little bar over in Illinois called The Barn and his wedding reception was there and me being 12 years old, my brother knew that I could play. He said, go ahead and let him up on stage. It'll be all right. So I played on stage and instantly... I had probably three or four people coming up to me, hey, you know, would you like to play here? Would you like to play there? And my brother's band, he went ahead and invited me to play at the bars he was playing at in Cedar Rapids and Lisbon and Mechanicsville, that area. Um, so ever since then, I just kind of, yeah, make 50 bucks here, 100 bucks here, playing out on the weekends, 12, 13 years old. And then uh, my brother had his own construction business, so on the weekends... Or even, you know, during the summertime, i go stay with him for a week. We'd work construction all week, and then on the weekends, we would go ahead and go play some gigs and make money doing that, too. Ah, that's wild. That's wild to think of. Like, I was in a band with a kid who was 16, and it's the same deal. You know, you're getting paid 100 bucks here, 50 bucks there, 150 here, whatever, you know, give or take, whatever, depending on the week. But, like, right. it's, uh, it's wild to think. It's like, man, he's a 16-year-old kid getting just, like, you know, you know, getting paid cash on the weekends every now and then here and there, like it's wild. And then it's to think that you were like 12 or 13 doing it. That buys a lot of candy, you know, that buys a lot of baseball right. cards or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. I'd go to school and say that. And the teachers would be like, you were where this weekend? <laughs> but making money. Making money. Hey, I got a man's got to eat, you know, <laughs> that's wild. Well, I, I was blessed because, you know, my dad seen that I was moving forward in the guitar world. So when I was 12 years old, he went out and bought me an American Fender Strat oh, and a little, you know, 112 Fender 
amplifier with a couple of effects on it. And I mean, I took that to the bars and that's all I had to go on. You know, <laughs> a little amplifier and that guitar. But I mean, I'm still playing that today. That so. That's awesome. That is super cool. Especially to have somebody, you know, that believes in you that much that's going to go out and invest in you. Um, yeah. I guess he was I, hard sometimes, but he pushed me in the right direction. So <laughs> that's good. That's good. It's, I mean, uh, I, it comes up a lot on the podcast having like a support group around you and things like that, especially when you're first starting out. You know, to find the right people to kind of help you along the way and 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 right. things like that. And uh, you know, I was lucky enough that my my parents, my mom, bought me my first guitar. As a matter of fact, she bought me my second guitar too, because my first one was like a beginner's guitar. So when I you know finally started wearing that one out, it was like, all right, I'll get you. I'll, now that you, I know you'll play it. I'll buy you a nicer one. You know, right. so I love it. I absolutely love the fact that your dad did that for you and helped you out. And uh, you know your bro- you know your brother too. You know, helping you out, letting you come along and gig with him and things like that. Um, right. It's, it kind of goes against that trope, that stereotypical trope of just like, yeah, little brother, you go away from me. You don't talk to me. You know, <laughs> it's, it's right. there's none of that going on. That's really cool. No, or like, you know, I'm going to step down off the stage and let my little brother play. And they're like, dude, he's 12, 13 years old. Eh, just watch. <laughs> yeah. so. Dude, that's super cool. That's super cool. So from 12 to... 13 to like 16 you, you said you started fixing instruments around you know 15 or 16 years old um was that out of necessity or was that you just didn't want to spend your hard-earned money to pay someone else to fix it or you, you were just curious and wanted to like open it up and see what's inside there or what well you know how it is working gigs and going to school and whatever i didn't have the money to pay a luthier to fix my stuff so necessity yes but also a buddy of mine, when I was about 14 years old, brought me a little piece of crap fender or something or another that's been sitting in the garage for 10 years, and he's like, you can have it. So I stripped it down, rewired it, put a new neck on it, this and that and the other, and that's kind of where it really started. That's that's awesome. Uh, you know, it's kind of weird because I've... I feel like I, uh, I'm like a novice when it comes to fixing guitars. It was all necessity for me and curiosity. Like I, I just didn't want to take it. You know, you had to like either mail it somewhere or, or get in right. a car and drive somewhere and drop it off. And it's like, eh, I don't want to go next town over and drop it off or whatever. So I just started doing that. And that was like the first thing I, I fixed up was just like a $100 guitar I picked up off Craigslist, you know. And it was like, well, it's, I mean, there's only so many wires and parts in here. It. Right. You know, um, you know, not to be crass about it, but if it's like, you know, if if someone in China in a factory can do this, I don't know why I, I couldn't figure out how to solder. You know, I should be right. able to figure it out. So right. it's, uh, you know, it's weird when it's like kind of partially necessity and then you start to figure some stuff out and you're like, ah, I could do I could do this instead on the inside. You know, there's a lot of things that you can uh, MacGyver will just say, but I worked at Guitar Center for a year and they had these guitars in there that had the microchips attached to the potentiometer. And so something like that you cannot work on. And so I was trying to get a hold of people to have new parts shipped, and they're like, yeah, they're sitting on a boat somewhere in the ocean, been there for about three months, don't expect them anytime soon. Uh, And so this dude bought a $3,000 base, and they didn't have a replacement one. And... He brings it to me, and he's like, it's not working. So I strip it apart, look at it. It's got the microchips in there. Come to find out I can't get the replacement part. And I tell him, I'm like, I'm sorry, sir, but we don't have the replacement guitar right now. You can wait 
until they get one in the store. And he basically looked at me and said, it's firewood, just keep it. And I'm like, oh, man. Yeah, oh, I felt really bad for him. But, yeah, putting all the all the extra stuff that they're putting in it today and the amplifiers, I won't even work on them anymore because there's so much stuff in there that you, you have to wait for parts from China. And then right now you can't get them. That's true. That's true. You know? Yeah. I especially know what you're talking about with like the inside of guitars. You open up an old guitar. It's just like a couple metal parts with some wires strung between it. looks pretty good. But like there's for a while, Gibson got in a lot of hot water over putting PCBs in, in the cavities. Yeah. I don't remember the whole story on that, but I do remember them getting uh, in trouble a couple times throughout the years. I mean, just recently. Yeah, I mean, they did goofy stuff like auto-tuners and things like that, but they also had, like, uh, for a while, they wanted to do, like, a quick swap was the whole deal, where they could just, like, if you want a new pickup in, you just unplug it, take it out, you get a new one, you string it in yeah. there, plug it right back in, and it's ready to go, but, you know, it didn't always work as well as you thought it did, like, the pickups had these, like, awkwardly large plastic plug-ins on the end that wouldn't fit back through so you had to take the plug-in off and then like take it out and then rewire a new wires through the original it was just a big pain in the butt so none of it was really as good as as it could have been i know a lot of people that had those guitars that were just like gut all the pcbs put old stuff in it call it good you know which six of one half dozen of the other i guess if it works it works right yep yeah so that's you know that is what it is have you ever done any like woodworking i know you mentioned uh doing a little bit of woodworking like how does that factor into fixing a guitar for you because i'm not much of a woodworker so like electronics no problem woodworking man maybe you know so like how well, do you it could, it could be something as simple as you know sanding down a neck or or um sanding down the fretboard to put in new frets but sometimes the woodworking involves routing out room for like if somebody has a single coil and they want to put in a humbucker well you're taking this super expensive instrument taking the original pickups out and routing it and for a lot of woodworking goes into that you know because you got to be exactly precise yeah because if you chip it or anything or, you know, you can't go back once it takes so much off. So you might have a gaping hole there and it's going to look all goofy and yeah. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> this is perfect. So for like people that don't understand like the concept of single coils and humbuckers, like basically like look at a guitar, you got your Jimi Hendrix guitar. They got these little thin, like one rail thick, you know, about as big as a finger right. pickups. But then if you go look at like, I, you know, your Jimmy Page, Les Paul type guitars, they've got the humbucker, which is like two of those stuck together. So imagine you got a guitar with just one of those little like strands of uh, pickups in it and you want to put one that's twice as wide in there. If you peel everything back, the hole's only big enough for one of those usually. So you have to like carve the wood out of the guitar to make it big enough to fit another piece in there, which is right. like you said – once you start cutting wood out of a guitar, you can't add it back in. <laughs> no. I mean, it's incredibly difficult to do. Yeah. So. And I mean, I've seen people do the filler thing, but even then, if you're carving out a hole that big, it's it's not something you could just slap some wood filler in there and be like, well, that's right. you know. Or, you know, they, they might have a single coil one pickup guitar, and they want to add two humbuckers to non-existent holes. Ugh. And they got to measure and cut and be precise to make sure the magnets are going to line up with the string, you know? Yeah. 
that's pretty much where I'm just like, ah, uh, like you're I, off by a thirty second. It's gonna look goofy. Exactly, and that's the stuff where it's like I, I want to say I could do this, but I'm not doing this. You know, if somebody came to me with that stuff, I'd I'd be like, go take it somewhere else. Somebody, you pay them more money, you'll get a better result. That's that's well, just the way it's gonna work. I, I had a I had a shop in Muscatine when I first started out in my early twenties. And this guy brought me a $10,000 Martin. He had this the certification in the case, the, the ticket from Martin, the receipt, everything. And he's like, I want a complete setup on it and this and that and the other. And I'm sitting there going, oof, okay. So I, I took my time for probably three days and, you know, set, uh, filed the nut, sanded down the saddle, adjusted the bridge. It, it Yeah. Sometimes it does get nerve-wracking. Somebody brings you something like that. Yeah, that's... Oh, my gosh. That's like my... I was just thinking... I just personally, I've never worked on a guitar that expensive. Like, the most expensive guitar I've worked on is probably like a $1,000 electric, which then it's... Even then, if you're not cutting any wood out of it, it's not a huge deal. But, like, right. when you're talking acoustics, even, it's like... That's most of the stuff where it's like, will you set up this acoustic? No. No, I won't. I'm sorry. Like, I'm. it's difficult. It's not an easy task. It takes a lot right. more... A lot more work. That's another one of those. If you're off by a little bit, like you, you it's like, well, just ruin the nut. Like, need a new one. You, you know? got to replace it and start from scratch. Yeah. Which is horrible. I did that one time on a bridge for a guy that I was like, I'll, f- I'll fix the bridge on this. You know, it's, it's wonky. Sanded it down too much. It's, you know, it's basically wrecked. You know. Right. So go get a new one. Then you got to file down a new one, and it's like, oh, this is, this is more work than it would have been if I just did it right in the first place. You got to take the heat gun and the scrapers and get the old bridge off. Take the glue off. Put the new new one on. No. Clamp it twenty four <laughs> hours. Start from scratch. Yep. No, thank you. Okay, so if anybody's looking for acoustic work, take it to Kenny. Don't take it to me. He's the man. So it's just it's it's so you have to be so delicate, so careful. And I I get it. It's one thing if you're working on your own instrument, but like, what was it like the first time somebody brought you one of their instruments and was like, "Hey, this is my baby. Fix it." Um, uh, for, uh, well, actually, my nephew, Josh Fox, brought me his Fender. I believe he told me it was his very first acoustic. And I had to refret it, put a new bridge on it, put new keys on it. I mean, I did the whole works. And, you know, that being a sentimental instrument to him, if I would have done anything wrong or what have you, Mm-hmm. then it would have been a whole mess. But um, that was probably the first time somebody brought me something that was really sentimental that I worked on. Oof, that's a rough, and that's a rough one too. Cause you're like, this is, this is so-and-so's baby. This is the, I can't, I gotta, I gotta do right. I gotta make sure this thing gets fixed correctly, yeah. you know, and it's, you really have to take your time. Well, I'm not trying to be whatever, but that's one of the problems I had working for other people. Um, is they were like, get the instrument in, get it out the door, get paid. No, um, I'm going to take my time, do it right. And if there's something wrong, I'm going to tell the customer, hey, this ain't right. I rather can't fix it or this is what we need to do. You know, a lot of times people were like, put some duct tape on it and send it out the door. <laughs> well, that's, that's another reason why I want to work for myself because I know the quality and integrity is going to be there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> It just it just makes me laugh when you think about like I've fixed the electronics on guitars and it's so funny to open up the like the electronics plate in the back and you're just like 
There's uh, there's too much electrical tape in here. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, you're just like, what is going on? <laughs> Somebody was splicing and dicing. And... Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's fun too because like I've seen, uh, I saw one guitar that needed fixed up that didn't even have any solder on the inside of it. It was all just like tied together. Like all the wires were literally like surgically tied to everything. Like, wow, somebody like went like you could have learned how to solder and soldered it up in less time than it would have taken to tie wires together. You know, <laughs> but. I don't know. Yeah, it, it is what it is. It's pretty wild to think about that, too, because like you said, uh, you know, you go work for somebody else and it might be a little different story. And I'm not I'm not going to incriminate, you know, Guitar Center because I, I know people that work for Guitar Center and they do great jobs, right. you know, but right. But like, it's just a thing when you work for somebody else, it almost doesn't matter what it is. That's they're looking for production out of their workers, you know, and you're the worker. So you got to kind of just, you know, in the door, out the door. It's like, well, who's this for? Don't worry about it. Just fix it and get it out the other side, you know, and it's that's, yeah. a, that's a tough thing you know uh it's not like you know at your own shop you're just like caressing the guitars and like playing music to them and like you know holding them like babies <laughs> and stuff like that but maybe you are i don't know you take a lot of care and pride when it's when your name is the one that's on the door though that's exactly how young were you when you opened your first shop i really gotta think about that um i want to say 20 jeez that's or 21 somewhere in there that's crazy. But I, you know, for the majority of the time, I was rather doing it out of my house or uh, on my property. I had a, a cabin that I built, uh, that I ordered, and you know, built it up to be a guitar luthier place. So that's mainly what I was doing my business out of. But in Muscatine, I did have a building for about a year. But uh, like I said, in a small town, the overhead and everything, it's better to probably do it out of your house. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially now, like property taxes are insane. Insurance is insane, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, anybody, anybody that's a homeowner, you understand it's the way it works. It's just things are, things are going a little nuts right now, especially in today's climate. It'd be really tough to like start a business up and make it, you know, viable. So, um, you know, especially when it comes down to like fixing guitars, like it seems like that would be something that's like, uh, an odd demand, you know, it's back in the day, it used to be a thing that, you know, a, a town of 30,000 could have two guitar shops and they could both function easily, you know, or three guitar right. shops. But nowadays it's like one in a town that big is, is plenty for the whole county and surrounding counties. You know, it's, there's not terribly many. So there's a lot of people that are doing the whole in-home guitar shop kind of deal. And I, you know, I, once again, I, I don't blame them. It's, it's a little bit easier, but it's kind of cool that you like ordered a shed and set a shed up for yourself to, to get it all, Yeah. you know, it's like a, one of those tiny home type deals. Is that what it was? Yep. Exactly. And nice little porch on the front, sit out there and drink my coffee. Oh, yeah. That's legit. That's super cool. <laughs> New idea. Hey, you know, um, I, I guess you still would have to pay like, you know, probably, uh, I don't know. It depends on how it's wired up and whatever. Eh, I'm not going to get into the taxation on it and all that nonsense. <laughs> so when you started doing luthier work, did you ever go to like a luthier school? Did you ever like, I, I guess, I don't know, is, is there a benefit to going to a school if you already kind of know how to do everything? Or like I talked to one guy and he just like got a book and he's like, I read a book and it taught me everything I needed to know. I've never read a book on it necessarily. I mean, most of mine, honestly, was buying cheap instruments and doing trial and error. If I had something that I've never done before, I would go pay $80 for a cheap acoustic or electric, tear it all apart, and do to that instrument what I needed to do to my customer's instrument, you know, just to save the hassle and make sure, you know, basically do a dry run. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. No, it's, it's all good. No, it's, I totally understand that too. Cause I mean, that was like, you know, if somebody wanted me to fix something on a, on whatever, I always kind of found it like, is this something I can do on my own? Have I done it before? Is it, is it something I'm going to need to try before? Especially with like, I've refinished a few guitars and like repainted a few. And it's always like, you got to have a, a spare block of wood to like to, you know, test out the painting on yeah. this first before you yeah. go to the other one. And um, it, it comes in handy. I learned that the hard way. Cause the first guitar I ever refinished, I like painted the headstock and it, uh, the paint didn't dry and the, and the paint just like was a slopping all over the place. It was horrible. And I don't know, I had to, you know, double back and try it again, but it's, you know, you got to try on something else. You can't just like do your trial and error on, you know, your $10,000 Martin that comes in just be like, oh, yeah. you know, let's just try refretting this. It shouldn't be too bad. You know, well, I would order those, uh, do it yourself guitar kits. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've built anything from double neck to seven string, whatever. Cool. Gibson style, Fender style. Um, I used to hydro dip them, ah. and I have I, I have a couple at home that I've done that I've kept. My first couple that turned out really good, and I've sold a few. Um, that is really fun to do, but it's too much work. It's, it, a, it's a lot of work. Yep. Yeah. I uh, the time you're done glossing it and sanding it and you know, making it look pretty and installing the neck and getting everything ready. It's like, man, I got, you know, anywhere from 20 to 40 hours into this, depending on what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Home that has the tree of life, Steve Vine neck that has the led lights in it. And, mm -hmm. you know, I called all that. That was fun. Yeah. That's wild. That's wild. It's crazy. You say hydro dipping. Uh, I've done a fair share of that as well. I like, I don't know. I, I did one for me and me and Vinny met at Iowa Central, a community college. And like I did one for them uh, and donated it to the school. And I've done one for like uh, an event that's in my hometown that, that's like a music festival. I donated one to that for them to auction off. And, you know, I've done a few for those types of things because it's like you said, it's a lot of work. And when people ask you to do one for them, it's like, like I, I mean, I can, but it's it's just it's an investment, you know. You got to like get all the paints and get all the colors and get everything set up and, and, you know, hydro, yeah. hydro dipping, if you want to do it like quote unquote, the correct way, you got to make sure the water's the, the right temperature and, you know, um, you got this amount of borax and this and the other. Yep. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, not just like as easy as some people think, but it's, it is fun. The finished product is amazing. And, uh, I, I don't know. I like doing it. It's, it's really fun. But like you said, it's so labor intensive and stuff. I haven't done one in a while for a while. I got on a kick. I think I did like five or six of them. And then I was just like, Bleh. yeah, I'm kind of done with this. You know, it's, yeah, it's probably been four or five years since I've done something like that. Just because number one, I ain't had the time. And again, too labor intensive. Yeah. You're going to have to send me a couple of pictures. We'll trade some pictures on what we got. Cause uh, I'm, I'm intrigued and I don't know. I just, I think you'll kind of enjoy some of the stuff I got. I, I made videos for them and stuff cause they were so labor intensive. It's like, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to take pictures and show the transformation and what I did. But yeah, right. We'll have to get together after this and kind of talk about some of that stuff. But yeah. So, I mean, it's crazy. Cause like you never went to a luthier school or anything like that. You just kind of did it all trial and error, uh, woodworking from a, a younger age kind of, is that, was that something that you did or was all your woodworking, woodworking from a guitar's standpoint? So again, you know, when I was 12, 13, 
I would go work construction with my brother during the week in the summertime, and then we'd gig on the weekends. So when he's working construction, when he had the time, he would slow down, show me how to cut this, how to do this, you know. Um, so I learned a lot of skill from him. And then, of course, my dad was a woodworker all of his life, ever since he was a boy. So I watched him. You know, he had all the tools. I was blessed because out in the shed, he had all the tools that I needed. So I'd go out there and grab what I needed and go to work. Yeah. I mean, you're talking two different kinds of woodworking too. Cause like being a, doing like construction stuff, that's like one kind of woodworking, but like, uh, the other end would be like what I would call like maybe finishing work. It's stuff. That's all that, like the super high detail stuff. It's not like you're just sawing a two by four and then just slapping it in here, nailing it in here. You actually have to like sit down and like hyper measure things and, and you get these little tiny tools to take tiny bits of stuff out. And, uh, yeah, my grand yep. my grandpa did a lot of that woodworking and I kind of wished I would have taken more of it up. Um, my uncle did a lot of it as well. And he actually, um, was in the process of building a guitar before he passed away. So he's got uh, like a three fourths finished guitar, like at his house, he's built from, you know, reading a book. And it's like, that's the kind of woodworking I wish I knew how to do because mine's pretty basic and I'm, I'm not, I'm just not like the best. I don't have a lot of experience with it, unfortunately, but that's the kind of like high detail work. Those are the kind of people you need to sit down and learn from and, and, and to get good at this kind of stuff. Because like I said, this isn't just as simple as like, you know, oh, I got a two by four here. We'll just slap it onto this thing with a couple screws and we'll cut it out with a saw and it has this shape and you just put a couple holes in it and wham right. on the tar. It's unfortunately not that easy. <laughs> no. no. Have you ever built a guitar from scratch? Yes. I, I built an electric and an acoustic from scratch. And I will build an acoustic or uh, electric any day over an acoustic. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the- just and just putting the, in the bracing all the way around and steaming the wood and it's, it's intense, you know, and unless you have a big shop, absolutely. So, you know, I was, I was MacGyvering things. <laughs> I was taking a steel pipe, putting it in boiling water, sticking the wood in there until it was getting steamed enough where I could actually make it malleable to, to bend and, and stretch. That's wild. It, it, forever. You know, I've busted more pieces than I have probably put together trying to build an acoustic just because I did. I wasn't set up for it correctly, you know. Uh, Yeah, dude, the the bracing on the inside is crazy because it's like if if nobody's ever looked, if you're listening to this, you never looked inside an acoustic, grab your phone, snap a picture inside your acoustic, look at the bracing. It's literally like a strip of wood with all these little wedges cut out. And like you yep. said, you heat it up and uh, with uh, steam until it's like malleable. And you literally are like bending it around the shape of the guitar. It's like curving you, all around. You literally like, have to take hundreds of wooden dowels and stick them in. Well, at the time I was using cardboard and, and plywood because that's all I had. But taking wooden dowels and sticking them down in there. And then you take the wood and put it around the wooden dowels. And then you got to pin them down, pin the wood down to make it stay there and when it dries it'll form to that shape oh if you do it correctly yeah you just explained that it's like i guess i didn't you can't glue down wet wood so it didn't even like occur to me that you had to let it dry in that shape it's so mind-blowing yeah i wouldn't want anything to do with that um i mean when you were saying you'd you'd rather build an electric guitar because i was thinking i wouldn't mind trying to build an electric guitar from scratch but the neck Ugh, the neck it would be so much work to make a guitar neck and make it perfect 
so the guitar neck is hard to do at the same time. Um, the, the hardest thing about building the guitar neck is putting in the truss rod, routing out the truss rod and getting the fretboard glued onto the neck properly and then sanding it all down to make it match. And if you're going to have binding and that type of thing adds in to your, to your detail of work. Um, but a lot of the times, I mean, I have seen acoustic guitars with bolt-on necks, but electrics are mainly bolt-on necks. So you build your, build your neck. You know, sometimes it's three pieces, two pieces, depending on what you're using or how you want to put it together. Um, and then you bolt it on to the body, and it's not that easy. But in essence, you cut your hole, fit your neck, bolt it on, you're done. Whereas an acoustic, you have to be so precise with a dovetail. And if you have to use shims or anything like that, eventually over the years, the wear from the strings pulling on the bridge and the neck is going to take that out of alignment so you're gonna have to reset it anyway so if you don't do it right the first time you know and and cutting out a dovetail and trying to make a neck squeeze into an acoustic body and and gluing it properly and yeah. jig is very time consuming so uh i i knew a guitar that had gotten broken let's just say it was broken it's a nice way to say that it ended up in two pieces and it was acoustic guitar and that was like my first experience with like somebody was like do whatever you want with it it's garbage and i was like i'm putting it back together it's not going to be perfect it's not going to be great but i'm just going to put it back together had all these holes in it and missing pieces i'll have to send you a picture of that one too you'll be like what the heck is this guy doing but it was basically a free guitar and uh, yeah, when I realized how like uh, acoustic guitar necks were set to the bodies, I was just like, oh, this isn't just like flat glued to the body. It's like you said, it's got a little dovetail thing. It's a slot that the thing just like slides into and, right. it, and, it, and it locks to the guitar. And like you said, getting it set in there correctly. And, and unfortunately with this one, uh, the dovetail was kind of out of whack because it uh, of the way it, it fell into two pieces. Let's just say that. Uh, so they didn't quite line up perfectly. So I had to kind of shim it together and brace it. But yeah, it's we're talking guitar necks here. It sounds like a pain in the butt, right? Like I would I would rather make a guitar neck than make an acoustic body, though. We're coming right back to that. Oh yeah. <laughs> like we literally just spent five minutes talking about how inconvenient a neck was, and now the acoustic body it still comes back to that's way still way more difficult. Sorry, I interrupted you. What were you gonna say? I. Uh... I'm working on building a guitar right now, but until I'm absolutely set up, because I'm in the middle of moving and everything, I ain't got my jig set up in that. Um, I got a piece of 5A flame maple for the guitar body for an electric. Yeah. Nice. And it's going to be a big body Telecaster. Cool. And then a 5A flame maple, or a flame walnut that I'm going to use for the guitar neck. Cool. Uh, I'm looking forward to get that done here in the next probably year with everything going on work on it here work on it there you know leave it in the jig but um i'm hoping that'll be really nice when i'm done with it and it's probably going to be a keeper it's probably going to be one that i keep and and play for gigs and stuff like that is that going to be a maple top or like a maple cap on the guitar is the whole thing going to be the flame maple it's one piece i cut it i i actually took it to a buddy of mine that works at the sawmill and had him cut it out because it was just eating my blades like crazy Oh, that's wild. So I, took, I took it to him and had him put it in an industrial jig, and and he cut the shape for me because I was just eating through blades. That's wild. That's super wild. Uh, what was the neck wood on that one again? 
5A flamed walnut, which just means it's it's like very pretty. It's got a lot of detail in the wood, um, you know, 1A, 2A, so on and so forth. So it's just very detailed. I've I've begun wood. I've begun to see the the necks on guitars. It used to just be like maple. It's always maple, only ever maple. You're never gonna find one that's not maple. And now, you know, net cheaper guitars have some mahogany sometimes in the neck or whatever. But like now, it's like I've seen like solid rosewood necks and just like people. There's like like there's no rules now. What the heck happened in the last ten yeah. years that made people start going away from maple? I I have no idea. Maple is a great wood. I mean. <laughs> I've, I've liked rosewood. Um, you know, I've had rosewood on strats and I've had maple on strats and vice versa on, on, uh, PRSs and Gibsons and whatever. Um, I like them both. I can't really, you know, they say that rosewood has a little bit of that darker tone, which I think that's true. It, it's, uh, got a little bit of a darker tone, but everybody's ear is different. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those things where I've I've gone back and forth trying to decide whether or not those like tone wood arguments matter very much with electric guitars, and they they do to an extent. It's not like so aggressive that people like the average person can hear it or will care about it. But like if you're playing the instrument, you've put hours and hours and hours into playing instruments, you'll be able to figure out that they sound slightly differently with like the different woods in them. And I don't know if like the whole everyone's guitar tone is going this direction or like these tone woods, you know, Fender were making weird necked amps or weird neck guitars. Cause they fit our goofy amps we're making. Or like, I don't know if they're trying to do like some sort of partnering with their own stuff to see like these things kind of mesh together. Well, or if they were just, we had leftover rosewood, we're making rosewood necks, who cares? Or we didn't have enough maple to make maple necks and we're going to make these instead. Or you fall into the Gibson thing where, uh, some people come in and look at your factory and they say, you don't have uh, the correct paperwork for this wood. We're taking it. Sorry. Uh, which happened to Gibson probably 10 years ago or whatever it was, but five, right. 10 years ago. But and that's a rough thing too, to think about like with these mass produced guitars, you kind of run into those, those things too, where like, I'm assuming if you're building a guitar, like you said, with your piece of maple, that's super nice. Like, it's you're probably looking out like this would be the best spot to cut the body out like at this angle because of the way it's shaped and things like that whereas if you go to like a factory where they're doing that they're just like whatever random piece of maple here's the shape of the body slam it out next one and they just go through it exactly there might be like a knot in it or like the the grains in it don't quite line up correctly going one direction or something or yep might be a, a weak piece of wood or something so i think that's probably like the biggest difference between like a, a nice quote unquote, nice guitar and, uh, one of the cheapies that you and I kind of are, you know, t we tested our, our abilities on, you know? Well, the, the argument that I have with, well, discussion that I have with a lot of people is, uh, you know, the, I've seen people come in to guitar center or wherever and buy a, a $3,000 instrument because they think it makes that much difference. And, I would say, okay, listen, if you go into the studio, especially if you have a pedal board that's got 20 different pedals on it, if you go into the studio between your pedal board and between effects in the studio, if I grab a, a three or $400 Squire Telecaster, or you go get an American Tele that's you know $2,000, if you turn your back to me, you're not going to know which one I'm playing. That's true. And there have been people that are 
me and say, oh, yes, I can tell the difference. Well, again, that's that's all on your ear. You know, I've had tons of people come up to me and say, you know, which one of these sound better? What's the material in them? This and that and the other. And I always tell people, man, pick it up and play it. And if it feels good, it's right. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you talk about all the details that you want. You know, this is American. This is Mexican. This is uh, whatever. It, it really it really comes down to the player and, and everybody's ears. Yeah, yeah, totally. I Trust me, I get it. Like, I, I'm, I live in a small town. I go to a lot of jam nights and things like that. There's a lot of people that turn their nose up at Mexican-made instruments and Chinese-made instruments. And, and you know, it's got to be American-made. That's the best and all this other stuff. And people argue about the wood and all the difference in the wood. And it does make a little bit of a difference. But, like you said, if you're going into a studio and you have somebody cranking the knobs on EQing everything and, and setting it up and, and you're going through a pedal board and everything, like they can make it sound exactly like an expensive one too, you know, just with the EQ knobs and everything they're doing to it. Plus like one of the biggest arguments I have for against tone woods on an electric guitar is like, it's an electric guitar. Like it's going through the electronics to go out into an amp. Like I would think the pickup would make more difference than the wood. And like, I've seen people try to like make that argument. And like one of the funniest ones was I saw a video online where a guy like built a guitar that didn't have any wood in it. And it was basically like he set up a bench on either side of him that had uh, one had a nut and one had a bridge and he strung the strings across it. So it was like a guitar playing in the air with no frets, no nothing. And he, and he started installing pickups under it. And he's just like, see, like the different pickups make all the difference in how it sounds coming out of the amp. And right. then he tried them like with guitars and he's like, see, I can just go in the studio here and twist the knobs a little bit. Boom. Everything sounds the same. So it really kind of doesn't matter. And it was like an eye opening video for me to be like, oh, yeah, once people start twisted knobs, you know, and right. you can even do that at your house with your own amps too. get a thousand dollar guitar, get a five hundred dollar guitar, get a hundred dollar guitar. They'll sound yeah. different. But once you start twisting the knobs, you can make them all sound the same. Right. And let's say, you know, the people have the argument of acoustics. Well, you can't do that with an acoustic. Okay. Well, then that comes down to a setup. And again, your ear, because you may pick up a Martin that you absolutely love. And I may pick it up and be like, no, this thing does not play good. It does not sound good to me at all. So it's really hard um, pleasing customers sometimes because they'll come to me and say, you know, I want the action at this height factory recommended well you may get a guitar since they're mass produced you may get a guitar that is not going to set up to factory no matter how hard you try it is not going to set up to factory yep you know (laughs) i uh the first first time i ever ran into that i was trying to set up a guitar i'm like how come this thing just isn't quite lining up and like the issue ended up being i needed a, a slight shim in the neck but it was still just like, how come it's not lining up? And it's like, oh, because it was mass produced. It's made in China. Nothing against it, but it's just the way it worked. You know, right. this this was one of five thousand guitars somebody made that day or whatever. They cut the neck joist out of like five thousand guitars. This is just one of them. It wasn't perfect. Whatever. Right. But yeah, like it's it's weird when you get to a guitar and you're like, I need to set this up this way because this is what feels best. And you realize, unfortunately, for this guitar, for the playability of it, this is the way it has to be set up. Well, I, funny, funny little story. A friend of mine got a hold of me and said, hey, man, I need to go buy a new guitar. You want to go with me? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll help you pick one out. So I go with him, and we go into a store, and there's this 
ugly yellow classical guitar sitting there and something told me to pick it up and I picked it up and strummed it and it was perfectly in tune. And it, it was a hundred bucks. And it's a Le Serial, which is, a, you know, they have cheaper made guitars. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, I bought it and that was five, six years ago. And I'll walk into a gig and people kind of giggle. They're like, that thing is ugly and it was only a hundred bucks it can't sound good well i put a bone nut on it a bone saddle set it up and people were like how are you getting that sound out of that cheap little guitar (laughs) you know i don't have no pedals i don't have nothing i plug right into my little fender 112 amp and that's it plug and play (laughs) i love it i absolutely love it sometimes the tiniest upgrades on some of those things can make all the difference um like i never really realized how big of a difference the nut on a guitar would make whether it be electric or acoustic or whatever until i i uh had a guitar that had uh, i believe the nut was made out of nickel i'm not 100 percent sure i think it's nickel it's uh i've I've seen brass nuts as well Uh, right but yeah um that was like, I was like, holy cow, this thing is spanky as hell if it has a metal nut, you know, because it's metal on metal on both yep. on both ends. And you're like, oh, there's it, you're, you're not losing any of the vibration. So that's the argument I was trying to make with people is if you take an acoustic or electric and you just change small parts like that, you can change a $100 guitar into a $2,000 guitar easy with peasy. a small little transformation like that, you know. Yeah. And basically the only thing you're missing. What's that? It makes a world of difference. Yeah, and at that point, basically, the only thing you're missing out on is, like, a, a, a choicer piece of wood that may or may not have, you know, come from an American shop, you know? Because right. they'll, they'll get all this awesome wood in. These these are the nice ones. We're keeping it. Those ones are going to Mexico. These ones are going to that factory, whatever, whatever. So they'll, you know, they'll do that. And they might end up taking, like, a cheaper something-something uh, on one end or the other, Like, uh, they've got less expensive pickups or less expensive this, that, or the other. But like you said, if you have an Epiphone and, you know, an Epiphone Les Paul, you put new pickups in it, you put new hardware in it, boom, you've got a Gibson. It's that simple. And, I mean, you can save yourself half the money. uh, And it's just kind of the way it works out. And I I think that's one of my favorite things about, like, kind of working on guitars is there's really no rules or there's no limits to anything you can or can't do like once you start realizing like oh i can swap out the pickups or i can change the uh you know i could change the capacitor that's you know inside of here and make it different i can change like resistors or something or add one in there and see what that does or whatever high pass filters and low pass filters and all this other nonsense like that but and i mean that's like a lot of like guitar geeky kind of stuff that i feel like not everyone is into some people just want to play the guitar but right you know and i mean the benefit of that is uh those are the people that come to you and they're just like hey just fix it i just need to play it next week you know yep i mean i love those people too they're spending all the time playing you know playing music and they're usually the better musicians anyways because we're so distracted by ended up playing like you know yeah i gotta try to fix stuff however did you mention you played like a bunch of different instruments like i know Vinny said you played different instruments like how many instruments do you play off the top of my head, I'm not sure, but uh, mandolin, banjo, guitar, uh, lap steel. Cool. The old Hank style pedal steel. Ah. I, can't, I can't do the double necks or anything like that, but I can do the old Hank style pedal steel. 
uh, harmonica, bass. Um, I mean, pretty much anything with strings. I can play a little bit on piano, not much. That's, that's so but, wild. That <laughs> wind instruments, just, you know, always had a guitar in my hands. So, what was, uh, so the first thing I'm assuming you picked up was a guitar. Yep, I was six years old. Dad got me a little first act. It was uh, junk, but I played it for a couple years, and Dad went and got me a Jasmine Takamini. Nice. Uh, I still have that, too. That's my first acoustic. So I was eight years old when I got that. And then he's seen I really got serious within the next couple of years and bought me that electric when I was 12. And uh, that's pretty much still my main guitarist today. Cool, cool. So after guitar, was it bass guitar, or did you go weird and you're like, I'm going to learn the mandolin next? <laughs> um, one day, Dad went to the guitar store, came home with a banjo, and he said, I'm going to play this because he played a little bit on the banjo. Well, when he got older and fingers quit working so well, he said, here you go, and handed it to me. Um, but while I was in the house there, I was probably 13 or 14 when I started plucking on it. Oh, crazy. And, but I didn't start taking it serious until I was probably 17 or 18. That's a wild one. Like, I remember the first time I sat down with a banjo, I'm like, ah, you play this like a guitar, right? And then you're like, oh, wait, this isn't even anything close like a guitar. You get the different, like, finger roll patterns and all that other stuff going on. Well, five strings, the highest string is on top in the middle of the neck what yeah in the middle of the neck too yeah like why is there a tuner halfway up the neck of this guitar yeah. just hanging out <laughs> banjos are weird and they do make those six string banjos though too that are like tuned like guitar a guitar tuned and kind of a cheater banjo yeah yeah which i guess hey whatever it, it works it's cool like i i'd still like wish i could play a banjo i i sat down and like the thing that got me with banjo is i just could not get the finger rolls fast enough on the one hand i bet if i practiced i probably could but you know it was just frustrating luckily for me i started out playing you know chet and stuff like that so i already had the fingers i just had to switch it over to banjo rolls nice so i mean that leads us into like your influences so i i mean it comes down to what you were influenced by i was like a power chord punk rock guy like you know starting out so that's that's immediately what i got into it's just you know that kind of stuff but it sounds like you had a different route starting out in this uh not not necessarily being like the "Eh, rock and roll with long hair and you know all that nonsense well you know my dad was much older when he had me he was 53 so by the time i was 10 and started you know, getting pretty decent at guitar, he was already 63. Mm-hmm. So it was old school living with him. Mm-hmm. You know, he had the old record, record players. I'd get up five, five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning, have a cup of coffee with me. Have, he'd have Johnny Cash or whatever playing while we're sitting there drinking coffee. So it was just a constant listening to country music all the time. And then my brother, when I was about, 11 12 introduced me to stevie ray vaughn and then i just opened up into a whole new world learning different things yeah. srv will do that to you that's for damn sure yeah yeah first time i heard srv i'm like what is this because i was used to listening to just old finger style you know and then you hear the blues for the first time and you're like wow yeah 
uh, a lot of people turn their nose up at the blues, but holy moly, I still remember like getting into playing guitar and stuff and just being like, man, SRV is doing something. He's doing something different over there. Uh, it's just his feeling. Yeah. Man, he puts all his feeling into his guitar, just like Jimmy. That's why they're so great. Yeah, I remember hearing an interview with him once that he like he's like I like to try to imagine to myself what the drums and bass would sound like if they were playing with me, even if they're not there. So what he would do is he'd like kind of come up with these songs. He's like, this is kind of how I want it to go, and he's known for being like ka chong ka chong ka chong ka chong ka chong ka chong ka chong. You know, he's got those kind of that beat kind of going in there. And uh, what he was doing, he was add all those little bits, those little percussive bits to make it seem like, well, if we're doing a shuffle and the drums and bass are in here, they'd be doing something kind of like this alongside of me. So that's kind of why he did it that style anyways. And then when he had the drums and bass with him, he was just like, what well, I'm just, I'm just going to keep playing it like this. Cause this is how, you know, I'd prefer to play it anyways, but it's kind of cool that that's like a style that he kind of learned or had just based on necessity and uh right. oh no we're running out of juice uh-huh oh man we're uh we're getting close but we do have you know a few other things you know to talk about you moved away and you ended up coming back though um what made you come back was it just like family around the area or was it time to come back or was was this just kind of the the place that was calling home or was there was everybody just like you need to come back and fix my guitar please <laughs> <laughs> well long story short um I met what is now my wife online and went out to North Carolina and stayed out there for a while. That's where I was working at Guitar Center and doing this and that and the other. Um, we ended up getting married out there and my mom lives out here and she doesn't have much help and she's getting older too. So I told the wife, got to go back to Iowa. Yep. So we ended up buying a house here and now I'm back back doing the guitar thing here that's uh that's awesome how many shows do you do you play like since you've come back have you joined any bands have you done any studio work because i remember you said you did some studio work and i also saw that on your website by the way too i'm posting a link to your website down below so everyone check that out but have you done any of that since you've come back not since i come back because i've been back for two months and the whole time has been packing boxes oh. and, you know getting the kids enrolled in school and goodness it's just been busy, busy, busy. Yeah, I don't, I don't envy anybody that moves once, let alone like once a year for the last. You know, you moved last year and you moved this year, pretty much, right? Right, and I mean it's a thousand miles, so I loaded up a twenty-six foot U-Haul and straight through nonstop. <laughs> you did that twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just so much work to move. I, uh, I don't envy it, but you know, it's, I'm glad you're back in the state. I've never, like, it's just fun. Cause I've never met you before, but it's kind of like we said at the beginning of this small, it's music scene here is big, but it's small, you know, and it's right. I, uh, I'm assuming that you and I have probably like run into people. There are no people that, you know, we've met before, you know, just like Vinny. I remember you had mentioned, uh, you had a cousin named Josh Fox and I know, uh, there's a musician in like the Des Moines area named Josh Fox. I don't know if that's the same person or not, but anyways, like, it's kind of weird that you, you know, it's like, Oh, there's, it could be the same person with the same name that might actually play music. It could be completely different people and they just have the same name and you know, they play right. in the different areas. And I was going to ask you about that, but I, I don't know. The time has kind of passed, but, uh, well, I've, I've been wanting to get back into bands and do that type of thing. I haven't done any studio work and probably, I don't know, a couple years, unfortunately. But um, 
I would love to get back in the band and start playing again. But mainly right now, I'm just worried about working on my repair, you know, getting that all set up, getting clientele. So, so uh, like luthier work and repair work is like, you know, number one, I guess it is kind of like also your, your, your job or your supplemental income too. So it might be the thing, right. you know, to, to get started up first, but you know, so that, that is number one on, on the docket then is to get that all set up so you can start yes. taking customers back in. All right. So, uh, where, where's the shop located at, I guess would be like the, the best thing to kind of go. If I, if I, I think I saw on your website, you're kind of between Iowa city and the quad cities. So I'm moving to Wilton, and I'll be uh, right there on the main street at 118. That's where I'm going to have my shop at, 118 East 5th. Nice. That was in Wilton? Yes, sir. And that was, uh, am I correct, that's between like Iowa City and Quad Cities for those of us not in that area? Yes. All right, cool. So I, I looked up the right place. I got it, I got it right. So I, I think I found that information like maybe on your on your website or something, but the website is going to have all the information. It's got ways to contact, um, Kenny, if you want to talk to him about guitars, get some guitars fixed, uh, get some quotes, things like that. I did see you do have like, you know, different packages and fees for different things and like oddball stuff. You kind of got a call to get a, figure out what's going on. And, you know, just from sitting down talking with, with you for the last hour, you seem like a very down to earth person. And those are the kind of people that are, you know, uh, it's nice to, like I said, have someone like that fixing your guitar instead of somebody that's just uh, production based, where you don't actually get to talk to them or see them, you know. And uh, right. you know, it, the guitar works crazy because, like you said, it's it could be like we can fix it this way, or I can fix it this way, or I can just give it back to you, and we can't fix it because these things I can't do, or what you know. Like you're going to tell people what the best options are, what other options they have available. Uh, well, might ha- might have to wait because of the stupid shipping thing that's been going on. Um, yeah that that's been the biggest problem it's it's crazy sometimes you know i think there's a dude waiting nine months for one part like at that point i'd just be like shove something else in there just yep (laughs) yep i mean that's you'll know that you'll know these are the options you can give to people so he'll be able to tell you that so that's it's gonna be the best way to do it there's uh in the description section down below make sure to find the website check it out um I, I think we talked about most of the stuff. We did kind of gloss over the influences. Have your influences changed? I just like this. Have have your influences like really changed? I, I know you talked about like growing up listening to kind of some older country and things like that, and then kind of going into you know SRV. But have they changed as you've gotten older and your style changed a bunch uh, as a guitar player? I don't really think so. Um, Finger picking is always going to be my forte and go to. Um, I love playing rock and metal and stuff like that, but if I'm going to go play gigs, it's most likely going to be country and sticking to my roots. That's, you know, that's awesome. That, we need more finger picky people out there. There's so many people out there flat picking and doing all you know that stuff, just regular guitar playing. We need more. We need more finger pickers. We need more chicken picking. We need more all of that stuff. So, uh, hats off to you for doing all that stuff. I I it's that's wizardry that's guitar wizardry you're a wizard on all fronts on the guitar you can fix all the crazy wood stuff you can fix the electronic stuff he can finger pick a guitar do studio work he'll join your band hit this man up everybody (laughs) (laughs) is there anything we didn't talk about that that you think you might want to squeeze back out of here i'm trying to go back through my notes here do 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 
I don't think so. I will say one more time, the website did you get said you did give lessons. So if anybody's looking for lessons in that area, that's where it's at. All right. Um, stick stick with me here. I am going to end the recording, but th- I do want to say thank you for joining me on the podcast. I really do appreciate that. I appreciate you for having me. Absolutely. What a small musical world it is to know that he knows Vinny and I know Vinny, but then again... Who doesn't know Vinny? Vince Beneshek, fun guy. And I'll tell you what, sitting down talking with Kenny, Kenny sounds like a fun guy as well. Uh, Fun story, it just, the whole thing just kind of intrigues me. You know, uh, it seems like uh, such a normal life, but at the same time, such a, just slightly off to the left. I mean, like, uh, working on guitars, not that big a deal, but working on guitars when you're like 16, that's pretty wild, you know? And, And playing live shows, you know, in your early teens, that's pretty wild too. You know, late teens, not as wild. Early teens, pretty wild, you know. So I think about that kind of stuff and that's the kind of stuff that just blows me away uh, and, and gives his story just some form of originality that, that's just really, really intriguing. Uh, you know, to know that he's a luthier and and some of his process comes out in here where like if, if he wants to try something that he's never tried before, he'll go out and try it on, on one of his own instruments before he ever tries it on someone else's, which is definitely... Uh, a testament to how he's doing things over there because I mean you could just go test on someone else's things and then bill him for it and stuff but that's that's unethical and you know that's just goes to show you the ethics that he's running around there and so I appreciate him you know coming out and t- talking about some of the struggles he had when he first started you know becoming a luthier and it's like man I didn't know I had to do this on you know $10,000 instruments just as much as I did on $100 instruments you know depending on it doesn't really matter if somebody brings it in you still have to fix it so you, you have to take just as much care of every single instrument regardless of what comes through the door or you know who comes in with what so it's really interesting to hear that you know and not only that but to hear he's got a a unique guitar playing style which is you know definitely not a style that there's too many people out there doing you know there's a lot of people doing the power chord and the single you know the guitar pick flat picking or whatever you want to call it but there's a lot of people doing that kind of stuff and not very many people doing the whatever the claw hammer or the chicken picking or the banjo style picking and that kind of stuff so uh finger picking along those lines so it's it's really intriguing to have people out there like him doing what he's doing so hats off to kenneth or kenny whatever he prefers to be called uh luthier kenny i got links down below for it so check it out make sure you check out the website the website will lead you everywhere you need to find anything that has to do with uh kenny and what kind of guitar work he can do uh lessons luthier work studio work you name it he'll he'll have a little bit of this that and the other and everything available to you right there on the website and uh, it's, it's a fun little website it's nice everything's organized it's right there it's easy to find boom there you go so uh, hats off once again I want to say thanks to Kenny for taking time out of his day to sit down and talk with me about his work and like what he's done and things like that because like I said he just kind of sent me a little bit of information about him he's like I listen to the podcast I talk to this person I know him it's kind of fun here's like my story and I said this is just really interesting so uh, I hope you guys enjoyed a little peek into his life and uh, to know that there's other luthiers out there if you guys need uh, luthier work this is uh, definitely an option so check that out um, so yeah links are down below for that There's also links down below for Audible Farm stuff, the Audible Farm shop where you can find Audible Farm merch, such as the hoodies. Hoodies are back in stock. It's awesome. Uh, It's getting chilly out, so it's time for hoodie weather. And uh, yeah, pick yourself up a hoodie. Last time a hoodie sold out, it took me well over a year to get more back in stock. So if you're looking for a hoodie, 
Uh, check there for sizes and availability. And uh, if you see me at shows and things, hit me up. Maybe I can just bring one to a show and we can avoid the uh, shipping and fees and all that other nonsense. But uh, otherwise, yeah, if you want me to ship one across the state, boom, that's the best place to find it. The Audible Farm Shop. Uh, there's a link down below. Uh, there's also a link down below for the Patreon channel if you guys want to watch video versions of the podcast or support the podcast monetarily for a dollar a month. Uh, as little as a dollar a month, you can just watch video versions of the podcast over on the Patreon channel. It's really cool. You kind of see everybody, see what we look like, say hi to us, and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. So otherwise, all the other Audible Farm links are at audiblefarm.com. You can find links to the YouTube where you can subscribe and watch all the videos and all sorts of good stuff over there. There's also links to all the other social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Follow, like, subscribe, share, wherever you uh, frequent the social media just to stay up to date with uh, all the other Audible Farm good stuff. So uh, thank you guys for listening, and uh, I'm out of here. I'll check you next week. Peace.